Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 18 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 18, if you want to turn there. We're going to work through just six verses today. I was going to go through a lot more, and I just couldn't get through it. So we are six verses in today. And the title of the sermon today, if you're taking notes, is Who Wants to Be the Greatest? Who Wants to Be the Greatest? And this is sermon number 70 through the book of Matthew. Sermon number 70. We're working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview, where we look at the view of the Lord Jesus. We look through his eyes, through his lens, how he views the world. And at the end of the day, that's the view that I ultimately want. I want his view. I want to know what he thinks about how to live life. I want to know what he thinks about marriage. I want to know what he thinks about family. I want to know what he thinks about society. I want to know what he thinks about life, uh, how, to, how to deal with people, how to work through this life. I want his opinion. I want his views on everything. And that's why we're working through the book of Matthew with this title in mind, Jesus Worldview. Like I said, we work through verses 1 through 6 in our Bibles. Heard of a story. Maybe you heard this one too country preacher decided to skip services one Sunday to spend a day hiking in the wilderness. Rounding a sharp bend in the trail, he collided with a bear and was sent stumbling down a steep grade. He landed on a rock. He broke both legs. With the ferocious bear charging at him from a distance, the preacher prayed, Oh Lord, I'm sorry for skipping services today. Please forgive me. Grant me just one wish. Make a Christian out of that bear that's coming at me. True story. At that very instant, the bear skidded to a halt, fell to his knees, clasped his paws together, and began to pray out loud at the preacher's feet, Dear God, please bless this food I'm about to receive. Who wants to be the greatest? Who wants to be the greatest? Man, I love competition. I love competition. I love competing. I loved competing as a kid. I love competing through high school. And there's, I don't know, some drive in me. I just want to be the best. I don't know why, but I just want to work hard at being the best at whatever I do. It's just in me. It's been a part of me. And when I played football in high school, I would, uh, when we'd lose the game, I would literally be brought to tears. I'd be crying because I was so upset that we lost the game, so mad at the other players and mad at myself and my performance, and I just wanted to be the best. I wanted to outperform. I wanted to excel, and uh, I, I learned uh, a lot through those losses, but I love competition, but it's good when it's playful competition. It's good when it's uh, joyful competition. It's good when it's, it's kept in the place of good sportsmanship, we would call it, really in any category. But as soon as that starts to go south and we now become jealous or envious or want to tear down another to get ahead, we're stepping in the wrong direction. Who wants to be the greatest? Really, it's, it's, it's the motto, the anthem of our world, is it not? Uh, who has the most followers, who has the most likes, who, who has the most money, who has the most power, who has the most authority. Uh, this is the game that everybody seems to be playing on the planet. Who's going to be the greatest? 
And uh, we get to talk about this in our text today because, well, what ends up happening is we catch the disciples arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus gives a shocking statement in response to them that I think will turn our minds and our hearts upside down and cause us to rethink this term, who wants to be the greatest. We are in Matthew chapter 18 in our Bibles. We're going to work through verses 1 through 6. Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? We always stand for the reading of God's Word to pay honor to Him and to remember whose Word we are reading. It's His, not mine. I'm just a delivery boy telling you what the Word of God says. You should trust in it. Don't trust in my words. They won't help you. Trust in what God's Word says. Anchor your life on what God's Word says. Take a look at verse 1. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever, rece and whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever there, I'm sorry, I missed verse 4. Whoever therefore will humble himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it is better for him that a heavy millstone to be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Wow. This is God's word. Let's read. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that we have just read. And we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you fill us new and afresh with your truth? Would you change our minds? Would you change our hearts to align with you, O oh God? We need your Spirit to work, illuminate the text before us, cause us to believe on you with all of our hearts. Bless us as we study your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Last week, if you remember, with Aaron, he taught through the faith of a mustard seed, showing that God has all authority over all things, and by placing full faith in him, this is where life and strength is found. It's found in a full faith in him. That mustard seed, that little grain of sand seed, you put that in the ground, and it establishes a massive tree. A mass massive bush that really can take over a lot of territory. The faith of a mustard seed, small faith, but real faith, that all it takes is a full faith in him and his authority and what he is doing, and that is how God begins a work in us. It believes, step one here, believing God at what he has said. That's it. Do you believe God at what he has said in his word, that he created the heavens and the earth? That man has sinned against God. That he has sent his son Jesus to die for our sin and to be the bridge that connects us back to the Father, that reconciles us back to the Father through his death, burial, and resurrection. We are reconciled into relationship with the God who made us as Jesus forgives us of our sin and makes us right with God. All he asks us to do is turn away from believing other ways. And to turn to him and believe on what he has said with all of our hearts. 
Simple faith. After some great lessons from the Lord, the disciples decide to walk up to Jesus and ask a question all of us are thinking but would never say out loud. Who's going to be the greatest? Look at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Lord? Wink, wink, nod, nod, Peter. Lord, please tell me it's me. This is hilarious. Luke, Luke uh, tells us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 46, Then an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the thoughts of their hearts, had a little child stand beside him, and he said to them, whoever becomes a little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever comes to me welcomes me, the one who sent me. For whoever is the least among you, he is the greatest. The Gospel of Mark also points it out in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Then they came to him in Capernaum. While Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way, boys? But they were silent, verse 34 says. For on the way they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Hey, uh, what were you guys just talking about on our way over here? Nothing. Oh, it wasn't nothing. You're silent because I just caught you. You guys were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in heaven. So with the context and the other Gospels, we see they were actually going at it with each other, making points and rebuttals about who was better and greater in the kingdom of God. Have you seen what I've done, though? Do you remember when I did that thing? Do you remember that little deed I did over there? Well, John, you don't read your Bible as much as I do. I, I read it way more. And didn't you hear me say uh, you were the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you remember that? That was an A+. Yeah, but Peter, then, then remember what you did after that? Jesus rebuked you and called you the devil, okay? We're literally going back and forth as who's the greatest? You know, is it LeBron or is it Michael Jordan, right? We want to argue about who's the greatest. Who's the greatest? And we subliminally like to argue amongst each other. If I ever got asked to speak at a pastor's conference, I might preach this message. Because though none will say it, this is what a lot of pastors are doing. Competing against each other with their churches as to who will be the greatest. Who has the best church? Who pre no, 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 sir. <laughs> I don't want to be struck dead, okay? <laughs> Father, forgive the... <laughs> Competing against each other with other churches, who's the greatest? If we are in competition with one another as to who will be the greatest in the kingdom, we have already lost. You already lost. If you're competing with another Christian as who will be better in heaven, you've lost already. You've lost the competition. This is a sad reality, but pride is in all of us. I see women competing with each other. I see men competing with each other, always trying to one-up each other. That's the furthest thing from humility, and that's what L.A. loves to do. We just want to one-up each other. 
Look, it's okay to have playful banter with each other and throw little bombs at each other and have fun laughing and goofing off. I love it. That's a blast. But to be arguing over the great things you have done for the Lord or thinking you are a better pastor or leader or parent or spouse or worker, this is self-righteousness. This is leaning on my own works. Look what I have done. Look at how great that I am. That's scary. Do you remember who did that in heaven in eternities past? Lucifer. Lucifer, don't you see who I am? I want to be the greatest. God says, oh, really? You're trying to take my glory and take my throne? I cast you out and one-third of the angels out of heaven just like that forever and ever. And the Word of God actually says that the prophet speaks that he saw Lucifer fall from heaven like a lightning bolt. Fall from the sky, kicked out forever. We're not to be thinking, I'm great, leaning on our own righteousness. I serve the Lord way better than that person. Because we're not remembering where the greatness comes from. It's not us. It has come from the Lord. It is His greatness in us. And He taught us how to be great. He taught us how to be great. Mark 9.35, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anybody wants to be first, you must be last and the servant of all. You want to be number one? You'll be last. Everybody wants to be called a servant. Nobody wants to be treated like one. Jesus came and displayed greatness at the highest level, and he actually will be the greatest in the kingdom now, won't he? He could have just looked at the boys and said, Lord, who's going to be the greatest? They all line up. Come on, pick, Lord, who's going to be the greatest? Me. That's what he would say. I am the greatest. Don't you guys get it? I am the Lord. But he doesn't even say that. Isn't that beautiful? It is the demeanor of our king. He does not even point to himself. He allows the Holy Spirit to do that. We see in Matthew 20, 20, listen to this story, watch what happens. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons kneeling before him. She asked Jesus for something, and he said to her, what do you want? She said, please, Jesus, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. For the day you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says, you do not know what you're asking. The day I enter my kingdom, he's saying indirectly, is the day I'm on the cross. You want your son to be on the right and the left? They can be nailed to a cross with me if that's what you desire. And he actually says to them, are you able to drink the cup that I am going to drink? And they said to him, we are able. No, you're not. And when the ten heard it, the other disciples... They were upset with the two brothers, verse 25, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so amongst you. But whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He did not come to be served. He did not roll up that way at all. He was born in a barn. 
He lived a lowly life. He was a construction worker. He swung a hammer. Just loved and served people around town. He wasn't in the palace. He didn't hang out with Caesar. He hung out with the average people. He hung out with the Galileans, the unlearned, the backwoods folk. Would he go to the hillbillies if he came here in America? Go to the backwoods where they're unlearned? That's where he would go. And people would say, that's the Messiah, that guy leading those guys, those 11, 12, those hillbillies? That's my crew. Jesus says, you want to be the greatest? Become a slave for all. A servant for all. Matthew uses great language, doesn't he? This is heavy language. A slave is one who is purchased by another. A slave is one who belongs to another. And who has purchased us? The Lord Jesus has purchased us with his own blood. And we belong to him. And we serve him. He came to serve and not be served. And he actually served so much that he gave his own life a ransom for everyone else. That is what it looks like to be great. It is clear the greatest in the kingdom will be those who aren't serving to be the greatest in the kingdom. They serve others because God has loved and served them. That's their only motive. It is for the Lord. I just want to bless him because he has blessed me. He's been good to me. I want to be good to other people. He's loved me. I want to love other people. I want no other accolades. I want no other achievement or award. I get it all in him. Remember Keith Green? He's saying, I want to take your word and shine it all around. But first, let me just live it, Lord. And when I'm doing well, let me never seek a crown. For my reward is bringing glory to you. Remember, greatness on earth does not reflect greatness in heaven. Those you think may be the greatest in heaven may not. He's going to be the greatest, I know it. He's such a great leader. Those you would never think will be the greatest will probably be the ones who will be the greatest in heaven. You don't even know them on earth. Because they're not seeking the recognition of people. How do we know this? Look at the next verse. Jesus turns the disciples as they're arguing, and he turns the whole thing on their heads. I absolutely love it. Verse 2, and he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever therefore will humble himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I love this. Simply put, Jesus says, this child will be greater than all of you in the kingdom. Peter's like, what? Lord, please. He got snot coming out of his nose right now. 
Peter, you have spiritual snot that you cannot see. And there's a lot. You got it on your forehead, Peter. You don't even know it. How'd you get it up there? It's like the employees fighting with each other, backstabbing each other, trying to get ahead. And the CEO says, none of you are getting the position. I'm giving it to the young guy who just puts his head down and works hard. None of you get it. You don't get it. Man, I love the Lord. His lessons always turn our world upside down. Who cares if you are a big CEO in this world with billions in the bank if you are going to be a beggar in heaven? Or worse, you not even make it into heaven. If you look closely at what Jesus says here in his word, you can see he changes the conversation. They want to know who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And he says, you guys want to argue about who's going to be the greatest in my kingdom. Are you guys trying to get me to rank you right now? Okay. He grabs a child and says, forget who will be the greatest in the kingdom. If you don't become like this little child, this little kid, you're not even getting in the gates. You're not getting in. You must become like this child to be converted. He changes the conversation. He says, who even told you that you're getting in? acting like this. Who's going to be the greatest? You're acting like non-believers. You're acting like the world. With that kind of heart, you may not even be getting in. What does this mean? We adults tell children to act like adults, now don't we? Jesus tells the adults to model after the children. I love it. It's so upside down. Be like Shep. Children trust in others to take care of them. Adults do not. I love how John Corson put it. He said, adults must become as children to enter the kingdom of heaven. This does not mean childish. It means childlike. One of the most obvious characteristics of children is their trust. John says, my kids never ask me if they're going to be food in the fridge next week. They have absolute confidence that when it is dinner time, they will be able to eat. Secondly, although children can't explain a lot, they sure enjoy a lot. As adults, on the other hand, we want to explain everything, but enjoy very little, if anything. The way of the kingdom is not explaining. The way of the kingdom is enjoying, just trusting that our Father will see us through and that he'll provide for us and never give up on us. I love it. The trust and dependence of a toddler, you can see it in their eyes. I couldn't see it because I never really got close to kids. I never really spent a lot of time with kids. I just didn't have a lot of little kids around me. So this is my first real experience with looking into a child's eyes and seeing their full dependence. He never questions. He just trusts dad, my little Eden. Even last night we were praying because she was scared that a bat was going to come in her window. And I said, Eden, if a bat comes in your window, what is daddy going to do? She's like, kill it? I said, that's exactly right. I will protect you. And Jesus will protect you. Her full confidence is in me, her father. Children know nothing else except to trust the person in front of them with all of their heart. They are a thousand percent dependent. This is the way of the kingdom. 
We enter God's kingdom through faith like little children. Helpless, unable to save ourselves, totally dependent on the mercy and grace of God. You have no works, no achievements as a toddler. You can't rest on anything that you have done. Nothing can save you in this life. You need someone else to save you. That is the gospel. You can't save yourself. You need the Father to save you. Nothing you have done will get you into heaven. I'm telling you, I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're not good enough. Only perfect people get to heaven. How do I get in then? You have to call on the perfect one to give you his life and his works, his gift. And when he grants you that gift, then you will get in. How do I get it? By simply believing on him like a child. That's it. That is the whole message of Christianity. Every other religion in the world says you have to do this and this and this and this and do this and this and this and this many times a day and you got to complete this mission. You got to do that thing and you got to go on that retreat and you got to, in order to level up and reach certain. No. There's nothing that you need to do except for believe on God, all that he has said with all of your heart, and he grants you the gift of heaven and a relationship with him. Forgiveness of sin of your past forevermore in a relationship with your father. If you simply believe on him with the faith of a child, it is that simple. God just wants a relationship with his kids. That's it. My little Shep, my little Eden are fully dependent on mommy and daddy for everything we lose this faith, trusting, dependence as we grow up, and we start to fully depend on our own strength, which is not a bad thing completely. We should grow up and become independent, just not independent of God. We should remain fully dependent on Him for eternity, for everything, every breath that you are breathing in right now. You didn't know it, but you're fully dependent on Him. You can pull the plug anytime He wants to. All steps of life, where to work, where to live, who to marry, how to love your spouse, how to love your neighbor, how to raise kids. We are fully dependent on him to provide for us and use us for his glory. It's all him, not us. We grow in our capacity and ability as we grow older, but we do not grow away from being dependent on God. Never rely on your own strengths. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and what? He will make your path straight. Psalm 115, verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, to you be the glory. Jesus says you must first come to him as a child comes to his father and mother, fully trusting, full faith. That's the secret to getting into heaven. Let me ask you today, do you trust the Lord today with your whole heart, with your whole life, with what you have, do you trust them like a child? It's fun to watch a child bring up all that they have in their hands, you know, all the most special things that they have. They walk up to you, it's like marbles and freedom, it's these animals, you know, this is, well, this is her treasure. 
It's all she has. She comes and brings what she has. She brings everything, her doubts, her difficulties, fully dependent on dad. These are the keys to heaven. I can't say it enough. Please, church, put your full faith in God as a child and you will be blessed. Put your faith in yourself and you will disappoint and find yourself depressed over and over and over again. I hate thinking about me all the time. It's depressing. Think about the Lord. The acronym for joy, J-O-Y. Think about Jesus. Think about others. Then yourself last. Be one who serves like Christ and lift up, lifts up others. Those will be the greatest. And those who are the servants of all in our society, they seem to be the most joyful. Those who are the most prideful and arrogant and don't serve anyone seem to be the most greedy and arrogant and sometimes disgusting people on the planet. They take everything for themselves. They care about no one else. That's sad. Listen to the story of a father and his daughter. Remember my daughter when she began toddling, then walking? She was a little bundle of energy. Our house was her whole world. She didn't know what was outside, at least not past her yard. She didn't understand the vastness and complexity of what was beyond her own little world. Well, she and I began going for walks around the neighborhood, ranging far and wide. Once the house was out of sight, she could not return to her own home. She was lost. She had no idea where to go or what to do or even if she was safe. Yet as we crossed one street after another, she held my hand and knew deep in her heart that she was safe. She knew her father loved her and would always do what was best for her. She knew her father would protect her from all harm and guide her in the best way to go every single time. All she had to do was hold his hand and do what he told her to do and she would have fun along the way, whether she knew where she was going or not. She didn't get scared or hesitate she embraced the trip down the strange new streets as an adventure with full confidence in her father. That's how Jesus said we should be, like a child. It's called faith. E. Stanley Jones put it this way, faith is not merely you're holding on to God, it is God holding on to you and he will not let go. You know, my child may be holding my hand, but what he doesn't realize is I have his hand. Even if he trips over the curb, there I am grabbing him, and he's going to be fine. He's going to be floating because Dad just lifted him. It's amazing how that works. The gospel is upside down and backwards from the way of the world and our confidence in it. Jesus tells his boys, you want to be the greatest? Be last. Be a servant. Be like a child. Have that kind of faith. Be humble to others. Be full trusting in me. Stop trusting in your own works. Trust in God. I love that Jesus makes the inner circle disciples question whether or not they are even getting into heaven. He says, check yourself. You're arguing with your brothers. Who is better at loving people? Who has done better works? We should ask ourselves the same. You see, this was radical because children in that day were not seen as special. They were seen as the least of society. And it is amazing how we have made children the least in society again today. If a child is an inconvenience to life, you should do away with it. 
I won't get into it greatly. I'm just going to spend a couple seconds. But we are greatly leaning in that direction in this day and age. And we as a church are grateful for the ruling of the Supreme Court. Amen. They ruled six to three. It was not close to do away with Roe v. Wade. For the word of God is clear that God knits a child together in the womb with his own hands, Psalm 139, and that every baby is fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God in the womb. And the universal law that we are never to harm, hurt, or kill another person, no matter what the reason, no matter how small they are, do you know that if you touch the egg of a bald eagle in America, you'll be fined upwards of $25,000 and sent into upwards of five years in prison. You touch a bald eagle's egg, you'll be in prison. Yep, a bird in an egg. But baby in the womb, the government will actually pay you to take its life. The government won't pay to help you have children if you can't, I've researched. But they will pay to help you get rid of one. The simple solution to all of this is if you don't want to get pregnant, use contraception. Be responsible. If you get pregnant and aren't ready to raise a child, give it up for adoption, please. There are thousands of families waiting to adopt your child, to care and love for it, who can't have their own kids. There is never a good reason to abort a child, just like there is never a good reason to kill a newborn or a toddler. There is never a good reason to take life of a child in a womb. It's not a child, they say. You could, see, you could say that 30 years ago, because you couldn't see the child forming. But we have 3D ultrasounds now, and I've seen them. At two months pregnant, the baby already has hands, arms, legs, feet, ears, and eyes. That's at two months. They have seven more months to go. Who are we to destroy the baby being knit together by God in a mother's womb? This is radical in LA somehow to say these types of things. Absolutely radical. It is so sad. Jesus values children at the highest level, and we should too. And if we don't, we are not with Jesus. He says this very, very clearly in the text. There is a twofold meaning right here in verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. We see a twofold meaning here. Jesus says, Whoever receives a child receives me. Though the context is clearly referring to believers, those who have childlike faith, I believe it is also a double meaning for the disciples standing there who were annoyed by the children. They were annoyed. Because when the children tried to come to Jesus, it says the disciples actually tried to stop them. Be like, get the kids away. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You guys get away. Let the children come to me. He never pushed them away. Children are a joy. They say what they think. They are exactly who they are. There is no gymnastics trying to figure out who they are like adults. Their joy is pure. Their sadness is real. There's no faking. They don't know how to yet. I love it. It is tell me exact. 
the exact things. Daddy, you don't have any hair. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And when he says, Mommy, you look pretty, Katie knows she looks pretty. They don't know how to manipulate the world like adults do. Sure, crocodile tears and clever negotiation, but they are who they are. Jesus says, as you receive the child who hasn't been broken by the world yet, you receive me. Treat them with care. Second, anyone who receives one who has childlike faith, a true believer, what our context has been talking about, who has humbled themselves before the Lord, he who receives that person, Jesus says, receives me. The body of Christ is a lot bigger than we think, church. The family of the Lord is way larger than you could imagine. God loves people that you would never love. Can you believe that? God loves people you will never love. People you might not even like, he loves them deeply. In every nation, in every tribe, in every language, they worship God differently externally, but inwardly the same, in spirit and in truth. And uh, it would be fun just to, uh, if God did a little, um, I don't know, field trip for each of us, and just literally selected the culture opposite of us the most and dropped us in the middle of that culture of believers. And God says, these are actually all my children. I actually love these people. And this group of 50 that I'm about to drop you in, they all know me deeply. Opposite culture of the planet, and you have to figure out how they worship, how they pray, how they do church what things are sinful and not sinful, what things are looked down upon, what things are exalted, and you'd be in there, your mind would be absolutely blown. Because it's amazing how even if me and you do something slightly different, we want to think about it, we want to figure it out, we want to challenge it, we want to understand it. We are not just simply accepting even within our own subculture of L.A., we are in America, we have a culture, but we have a culture in states, and then we have subcultures like LA, we are vastly different from other cities, right? And then we have sub-subcultures within LA. And I mean, uh, maybe hundreds of them. And they all work and think differently I think we will be surprised by who's in heaven and surprised that someone is a brother or sister in Christ. And I hope you would be surprised that you are in Christ, that God saved you. Not that, oh, I, I definitely deserve to get to heaven. I'm the guy. I mean, I, I got great stuff in the bank. I'm the one, Lord. I should definitely be getting to heaven. Not that guy, though. Careful. For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If someone is a brother and sister in Christ, Jesus says, receive them as one. Did you hear that, church? Because in doing so, you are receiving the Lord Jesus. Well, I don't like their teaching. I don't like their methods. I don't like their worship. I don't like their decisions they have made in their life. Did you know they have fallen into sin, that one? Oh, like, like David? 
or like Moses? Oh, no, no, no. They didn't kill anybody like David or Moses, but they did this, and we should stone them for it. That's why I don't like them. Oh, you mean they've sinned like you, and you don't like them for it? Oh, oh I would never sin like that. Oh, yeah? You just did. In self-righteousness, a far worse sin. I don't need Jesus as much as that guy. I'm better. I'm going to be the greatest. I was this guy, and I can still be. I didn't like certain denominations or methods or preaching styles and brothers or sisters who were different than me, who believed on the Lord Jesus for our salvation, I wanted to cut them down or look down on that distant family member because they aren't like me. But are they in the family? If the answer is yes, Jesus would say, receive them as you do me. Receive them. And as you receive them, you are receiving me, actually. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that the world needs so badly especially the church. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you guys. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples by your love for each other. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, beloved, let us love one another. Amen, Serge. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God, but he that loves not knows not God, for God is love. When I catch pastors, or I should say, when I watch pastors in the denomination I came from, Calvary Chapel, upset at each other, not acting like brothers, not receiving each other, our church fathers are setting a bad example for the next generation. Creating competition as to who will be the greatest in the kingdom, who will be the greatest in Calvary Chapel. This is hilarious. It is. It's not right, and by the grace of God alone, we younger guys won't do it to each other, but I sense that we probably will. Because we're broken. We need Christ. Brothers and sisters in the family seems to never stop fighting, huh? You thought you were doing that when you were just kids, and then you wake up and you're 50, 60 years old, still fighting with each other. Brothers and sisters fighting. In the family, still arguing over dumb stuff. Let us receive one another, loving and supporting one another's work and cheering on each other for the glory of God. If Paul was able to love the church in Corinth, surely you can love that other denomination. That would be great. This is the assignment. I want you to go love the church in Corinth. You're like, what? This is your new family. Let's let them rip you to shreds in there. Legacy, I want you to do this to one another in Christ, in this church. We will be a people united, receiving one another, loving and serving one another at the highest level. Amen. For our God has done this for us. How can we not do it for one another? Verse 6 in our final. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believed in me to stumble, 
It is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he'd be drowned in the depths of the sea. Yikes. Who said that? Who said that, church? Jesus is a nice guy. Jesus warns his disciples, do not cause your fellow brother, sister, believers to stumble in their faith. As much as you can, don't cause others to stumble. The millstone, if you didn't know, is a two-ton circular stone that had a stick in it that would go through the center, and the stick would come out and attach to a donkey's back. And that donkey would basically walk around this circle, and they would throw grain in the trough around it, and this stone would roll around, this two-ton stone would roll around and smash the grain. And Jesus says, it's better than you take that two-ton stone and put a rope around that center of that thing and put it around your neck and throw yourself into the ocean and drown at the bottom of the ocean than to cause other believers to stumble in the faith. Church, if we know we are hurting someone in the church, go make it right. Don't do things that make people question your faith and your commitment to God. Be a good example. If you fail, just say you're sorry and ask for forgiveness and move on. We're all going to fail. We're all going to do wrong. If you cause someone to stumble or you hurt someone's faith, just go make it right. It's that simple. Who cares? Make it right. Don't let pride stop you. If you know your actions are bothering someone's faith, stop doing that. For the sake of your brother or sister, let those of you who are more mature sacrifice your liberties or hold your tongue when you know you should. Be helpful to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't cause them to stumble in their walk with God. I couldn't believe it. Uh, yesterday, um, I'll be speaking at a men's conference coming up in uh, October, I believe it is. And I encourage all the brothers to come out. little commercial. Um, but some guy had the audacity to go on there and comment on my page and say, so funny that so-and-so isn't preaching at the conference. Ha, 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 ha. Because all of these brothers are in the same denomination and he was pointing out that this one guy probably should be amongst them, but he was laughing at him that he has not found preaching at that conference. And I thought to myself, the conference in heaven, you are in danger of not being invited to, my friend. The Father is not pleased at you laughing at your brother. Be a good example. Be helpful to your brothers and sisters. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I may save some. He says, those who are less mature in the faith, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to bend and flex and try to help because I want them to know Jesus. Romans 15.1, we who are stronger ought to bear with the shortcomings of the weak, not to please ourselves. We give up freedoms and sacrifice our own lives so that others might be saved and come close to Christ. Now I got to make my point and I got to have my way. Careful, you might lose that person because you're making your point and having your way. Romans 15, 2, each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up, 
not tear them down. 1 Corinthians 10.33, as I also try to please everyone in all I do, Paul says, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many that they may be saved. Once again, the Lord brings it back to serving others in our actions. Is this rebuke or correction helpful to our brother? Ask yourself. Are these freedoms I'm using helpful to my neighbor in this moment? Do we have the spirit to serve and help others and come close to Christ and be saved? Or do we have the spirit of not caring about another and how the other is receiving our actions? We are not to live in fear of man. We are not do things that hurt ourselves. But we are also not to be, and I don't care what anyone thinks. If this hurts my brother or sister, who cares? I'm going to do whatever I want. That's not Christ's heart. That's not what he did. He could have easily went for his own gain and said, forget all these sinners. I'm not dying for anybody. Instead, he laid down his life for us. Remember, we were bought with a price. We no longer belong to ourselves but the Lord Jesus. And so, church, walk in his ways of serving and sacrificing that we may win more to Jesus and encourage our brothers and sisters in the faith, not cause them to stumble in the faith or lose faith completely. Who's going to be the greatest? Ah, who's going to be the greatest? Aren't you happy that Jesus just basically sidestepped the whole thing? And he gave, gives him this picture. You want to be the greatest? You got to be like that child. Believing on the Lord with all of our heart, fully dependent on him. Church, I am believing that if we as a people are fully dependent on our Father in heaven, there will be less fighting amongst brothers and sisters. If we are fully dependent on our Father, we will be more enabled to love and serve one another, lifting up one another, encouraging one another, counting others higher than ourselves, as Christ did. What if we chose to do this in L.A. this week? Lay down our lives for other people. Let's watch what the Lord does. Let's watch how he uses us. I hope this sermon ignites a new joy, a new peace, a new rest, and less pressure to have to serve everybody else in your own power, but in the strength of Christ. He served us. We can do it in this city. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, wow, Lord, how it, it gets into us. It challenges us. And Lord, I pray against my own heart. Oh, God, please. Please, Lord, help, help me, Lord. Help us get away from pride. Help us get away from arrogance. Help us get away from having to always be right. But help us to cling to your truth. Help us to love and serve those around and to look at the big picture of seeing one come close to the Lord. Holy Spirit, cause us to ask questions if this is helpful. Holy Spirit, cause us to remember what it is like to be fully dependent on our God like a child. Lord, we ask that we would be servants of all, that we would finish well, servants in our marriage, servants in our families, servants in our workplace, servants in the city, and that it would cause people to marvel at who we are reflecting. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your gospel that saves us to walk in the ways of you, to walk with you,
to experience you all the days of our life. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.